Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We'll begin reading there together in verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, I realize that the weather is not the greatest, and we've enjoyed a lot of warm days for this time of the year. I will tell you the best thing that came out of Indiana, as much as I love those people, the best physical feature that came out of Indiana was I-65 South. And the best thing that came out of Tennessee was I-65 South, because it's a little warmer here than normal when you think about the climate. But today it's not been that way. It's kind of gradually gotten colder. It's gotten a little wet, a little nasty. But you are here, and I am so grateful to you. For that, I've enjoyed the conversations that we've had before and after services. Uh, I enjoy greatly the fact that you don't just take off after services. We have a congregation like that at Hilton Drive, and sometimes uh, we'll be there for an hour after the services are over, and, and you have that as well. And that's an encouragement to me. It means a lot to me because it doesn't just say about you that you like to worship and then leave, but you actually enjoy being together as God's people. You enjoy uh, encouraging each other and getting to know each other better, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I've enjoyed uh, getting to know Steve and Sandy a little bit better tonight and Colton and, and really appreciate them and the work that they do here that they've done here for a while, and uh, Steve is one of my go-tos. We have a college study in Florence, and Steve is one of my go-tos for that college study, and and he does a great job. The kids love his teaching, and uh, I really have a a good appreciation for them and who they are. It's just good to be with you tonight, to be encouraged by you, and to be able to encourage each other. Jonah chapter 1, let's begin in verse 1. Jonah 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I'm just curious, how many of you remember this story? You can raise your hand if you'd like. Everybody in here should have their hands raised, probably, right? We all remember the story of Jonah and, and I know some of you are wondering, what's he going to say? The whale or the great fish, whatever you want to say, right? We all remember this story. We've been taught this story from childhood. In fact, I imagine that many of us have just kind of chalked this up to a story that is a childhood story for children in children's classes because we learn about Jonah and this great fish that swallowed him and that he was in the belly of that fish for three days. But what's the backstory? And how in the world does this apply to adults today? That's what we're going to talk about this evening. Jonah prophesied roughly 
between 790 and 750 BC. So around 750 to 800 years before Jesus was born. And this was the time before the Babylonian captivity with Nebuchadnezzar. So this would be before what we talked about last night, before Daniel and all of that story. And it was the time when the nation of Assyria was a dominant world empire. And Nineveh, of course, was the capital of the this Assyrian Empire. And this was about a 40-year period of time where as a nation, the circumstances were the worst that they had ever been, at least since Assyria had risen to world dominance. They were weakened by war on multiple fronts. There was widespread famine and disease. There were revolts among the conquered nations. There was strife among the leaders of these conquered nations and in Assyria. And there was a slow, gradual concession of lands that had once belonged to the smaller conquered nations. History tells us that there was also a notable solar eclipse in around 763 BC and apparently that caused or is blamed for many of the natural geographic uh, disasters that happened in that day and time. It negatively affected their prosperity. And so all of these depressed conditions and maybe even with the events of nature and, and with other bad circumstances that had occurred caused the nation to give into a lot of temptation. They were guilty of gross immorality. Let me just say it was really bad. It was a horribly wicked an evil and cruel city. And because of the gory and the explicit details and the nature of that, I'll just tell you adults to go back and read that on your own time. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about those details tonight. But here's what I want to say about Assyria and especially Nineveh. It was a wicked, a brutal, and, a, and an evil place. It was the worst Thing imaginable for these people in this time. Please get that in your head. This is not just some children's story. There's a background behind this story that's historical, and it's a background of evil and wickedness. It's a bad place. And yet, even though their culture was filled with all of this junk, and even though they were a Gentile nation. God still cared for them. God still sought Nineveh's repentance, regardless of how bad the conditions were. You know, a lot of the time when we read the Old Testament, I don't know if you're tempted this way, but I am. And the temptation for me sometimes is to think that the God of the Old Testament was just a God of destruction. That God was a God of war and a God of judgment and a God of vengeance that God only cared for his chosen people, the Jewish nation. And, and then we think of the God of the New Testament sometimes, or at least this is the temptation, is, is to think of the God of the New Testament as being a God of grace 
and a God of mercy and a God of great love and kindness. I have you ever thought that before? There's, there's times when I'm tempted to think that. I've heard Christians describe the difference between the Old and the New Testament like that. But let me ask you this. If that were true, what do you do with the story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira? Do you remember that story? When they lied about the money that they had received and that they had given to the church, the Bible tells us that both Ananias and Sapphira immediately fell to the ground and breathed their last breath. And guess who caused that to happen? It was God. It was a miraculous death. You know, we talk about miraculous births. This was a miraculous death or two miraculous deaths. Now, let me ask you, is that a God of grace? Is that a God of mercy? Is that a God of justice? You see, that's exactly what happened to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 when they offered strange fire to the Lord, which the Lord did not authorize. That's exactly what happened to Uzzah in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 when God's people disobeyed and how they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if that were the case, if God, the God of the Old Testament was just a mean old cruel God and the God of the New Testament was this loving God, then what do you do with the story of Noah in Genesis 6? In fact, just put your marker here in Jonah. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. Because I want us to see this point real, uh, very clearly made in Genesis chapter 6. Look at Genesis 6. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. Notice what it says. In Genesis 6 and verse 6 and verse 7, it says that the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. There it is. There's the God of judgment and the God of destruction and the God of war right there. He's going to wipe out the whole earth. But look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. You see right there in your Bible that that word favor might be translated as grace. That God showed grace to Noah. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found God's favor. Why? Because he was righteous, he wasn't perfect, but he feared God and God showed him favor. And if the God of the Old Testament is not a God of grace, then what do you do with the story of Jonah where God's desire is for this Gentile nation to repent of their wicked ways and to turn from their sins to him. Here's what I want you to see about the story of Jonah. That this story teaches us, among other things, that the God that we serve today, the God of the old and the God of the new, is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love and of patience and of long-suffering. 
Nineveh did not deserve God's grace. It's exactly like what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. It is the gift of God. They didn't deserve it. It was God's gift. And so go back to Jonah and let's talk about five lessons that we can learn from this story. And then the lesson will be yours. First of all, I want us to understand now that we have some of the backstory, and now that we understand a little bit more about the God of the Bible, I want us to understand that God still loves those who turn away from him. God wanted Nineveh to repent. And so God gave Nineveh a chance to repent. You see, God cared for Nineveh, and he was about to destroy them. He was about to wipe them off the map. And so he calls Jonah to go out to cry against Nineveh. He wanted Jonah to warn them. He wanted Jonah to let them know that God's judgment was coming. And again, Nineveh was a wicked city. I think we've already covered that, right? Assyria was a Gentile nation. But yet, please understand that God loved even the Gentile people, even in the Old Testament time. I think that's a fact that we sometimes forget. In fact, turn over to chapter 3 of Jonah. Look at verse 10. Notice what it says about God in Jonah 3 and verse 10. It said, when God saw their deeds and that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. In chapter 4 and verse 10, the Lord said, or or, or, I'm sorry, in chapter uh, 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 4 and verse 9 through verse 11, as God is talking to Jonah, he's talking about compassion and, and trying to teach how he had compassion for them. Why? Because God still loves those who turn away from him. You see, when God saw that they had truly repented, what did he do? He relented. He did not bring his judgment upon them. And why is that? It's because God still loves those who turn from him. Have you ever turned away from God? Listen, you may be there tonight. Please understand that God still loves you. That God is still patient with you. That God still wants you to come back to him. And not only did God care for Nineveh, by the way, in the story of Jonah, but who else did God care for? He cared for Jonah. Jonah turned away from God too. He tried to run from God. And obviously at the end of the day, what Jonah really learned is that you can't run from God. That trying to run from God is a very bad thing to try to do. But God still cared for Jonah. Go back to chapter 1 of Jonah and let's read from verse three, verse 4 to verse 17. Jonah is on this ship, sailed, or ready to sail to Tarshish. And notice what the Bible says in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. 
Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights." Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jonah was given a sufficient amount of time to do some really deep soul searching? Pun intended, by the way. Do you think that? You think that God gave him time to think? Absolutely. Jonah had a lot of time to think. And a lot of time to pray. And a lot of time to meditate. You see, when I was a kid, we would always see pictures like this to represent Jonah and this great fish. Now, I couldn't find the picture that I really saw when I was a kid. Because one picture had Jonah sitting there with a fire in the middle of the belly of the well. And he was roasting marshmallows. Can I tell you that it was nothing like that? It's nothing like this where he has room to get on his knees and pray to God. Let's just get this off of the screen, right? Actually, we'll come back, we'll come back to this for a second. We'll keep it there. We don't want the kids to think this is what it was really like. But kids, understand, this is not what it was like. Do you know, want to know what it was like to be in the belly of that great fish? It was disgusting. It was dark and wet and smelly, and stinky. You ever smelled fish guts? Surely in North Alabama we've smelled catfish guts. Maybe a little bit of crappie too. You know what I'm talking about. You let those things sit. Matter of fact, you ever go on the, uh, on the banks of the Tennessee River where they had the designated place for you to fillet those fish and, and you go and what does it smell like over there? It smells nasty and disgusting. I imagine it was a little bit like that too. Anybody want to eat right now? It was gross. It was wet. It was smelly, it was nasty, it was disgusting. He was surrounded by the inside walls of fish guts. And it was in that moment for three days and three nights that God did not just wipe Jonah out, but he showed grace to Jonah. 
He gave him time to think. Because God still loves those who turn from him. What's the point? Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a God of grace and mercy. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God today. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love, just like he was in the days of Jonah. In 1 Timothy 2, in verse 3 and verse 4, do you remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, this is good and acceptable behavior in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, do you remember what that passage says? That the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What does all mean? It means all. It means everybody, that God wants everybody to repent. God still cares for those who turn from him. He still loves them. He is still concerned for them. And here's the thing. You may be here tonight and you may have turned from God and it may be in some secret way that we have no idea what you have done or what you are engaged in. It may be that you have a family member who has turned from God. What you need to understand is as you are praying before the throne of God for that family member that we serve a God of love and mercy and grace and he still cares for those who turn from him. Can I just say something about that? We need to send that message a lot more than we do. That no matter what you've done, you can come back. Because we serve a God who still cares for people who turn from him. Number two, even God's most faithful can harbor wrong feelings for the lost. I think this story teaches us that. I want you to think about how far Jonah traveled to get away from Nineveh. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 3. Notice what it says. He, 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 he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I wish I had a map of this to show you so you could see this visually, but I don't. I'm sorry. Just think about it with me for just a moment. Nineveh was about 500 to 600 miles northeast of Joppa. But Tarshish was on the coast of Spain about 2,000 to 2,500 miles east of Tarshish and they did, or, or east of all of that. And they didn't have planes back then. I want you to think about what Jonah did here. He traveled a very long way to get out of doing what God had told him to do. It was a long way from where Jonah was supposed to be. You see, even God's most faithful prophet in that day harbored so much resentment and ill will and essentially hatred for Nineveh that he tried to run from God. He turned completely away from God. And here's the point. Jonah clearly did not have the right attitude toward God. He did not have the right attitude toward Nineveh either. 
Jonah was God's chosen prophet. He was God's servant to go to Nineveh. But Jonah did not see it that way. Take your Bibles and turn back to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14, and I want you to notice what is said about Jonah in 2 Kings 14. Let's just look in verse 23. 2 Kings 14 and verse 23. The Bible here says, 2 Kings 14 verse 23, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath Hefer. Now, please understand this. While Israel had nobody to help them, who was there? Jonah. Jonah was there. And this would have made Jonah a very popular prophet in this day and time. It would have made him a fairly successful prophet, at least spiritually successful in this day and time. But here is Jonah, when we get to Jonah's prophecy, here is Jonah essentially saying to God, Lord, I will serve you wherever you want me to serve you, and wherever you want me to go, I will go except there. I won't go there. I won't do that. Not there. Jonah had his limits. It's as if Jonah said, Lord, take my life and let it be, but don't take this part of it from me. Use me, Lord, for your glory. Use me for your honor, but don't use me for this. I will do anything else except this. It's not my cup of tea. It's not my talent. It's not my in my wheelhouse. Lord, take somebody else and do it. I'll do anything else but this. Can I ask you a question this evening? Where is your Nineveh? Have you ever thought about that? Where is your Nineveh? Where's the place you won't go? You won't touch it. You won't get close to it. Who is your Nineveh? Nineveh wasn't just a place on a map, geographically speaking. It was people. It was a city of people. Who is your Nineveh? Who do you decide, Lord, I'll go to wherever you want me to go, to whomever you want me to go, but Lord, I won't go there. I won't go to those people. Who is that? You know, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Luke tells us that Jesus left heaven to come to earth to seek and save the lost. Now, I want you to think about that with me for just a second. Jesus left heaven. And Philippians 2 tells us he did that to come here. Let's get that in our minds for just a second. Jesus left heaven, the place where we really long to go if you're a true Christian, right? To come here. I realize the greatest demonstration of God's love for us and Jesus' love for us was found on the cross. I get that. But ladies and gentlemen, the cross didn't start at the cross. The cross started in heaven. 
And perhaps the second, or maybe how do you even describe it? Maybe the greatest thing that Jesus ever did for us was just found in leaving heaven to come to this earth to seek and save the lost. Me and you. And then God gives his apostles the charge. Preach the gospel to all creation. And then you can't read the book of Acts without seeing examples of where we are in the same business. We are here to seek and save that which is lost. But let me just ask you, is there a place you won't go? Is there something you would not do that God has told you to do? Is there someone that you would not share the gospel with? Are you starting to shift around in your seats? Are you starting to get a little bit uncomfortable thinking about this? Well, if you're not, let me ask you this. When's the last time you saw someone who was clearly a homosexual and you invited them to church? (laughs) Take my life, Lord. Let it be. But I'll tell you this. Don't take me there. What about the guy who's drinking at the ball game? What about the neighbor with the child that identifies as a transgender individual? Maybe it's the poor person. You look out and you say, well, that pitiful person, he'll never, he needs Jesus, but he'll never get there. You know what? You're right. When people say he'll never get there, guess what? He'll never get there because those people have harbored wrong feelings toward the lost. What about that rich guy? And you look at him and you say, that guy is so wealthy. That guy has all of the money and all the things that this world could offer. He could never see a reason for Jesus in his life. Ladies and gentlemen, that guy needs Jesus just as much as anybody else. And yet what we do is we play Jonah. Whatever it is, whoever it is, wherever it is, if it keeps you from being who God wants you to be, you are no different than Jonah who said, God, I will serve you. I will do anything except this. Number three, what the story of Jonah teaches us is that sometimes God sends you on missions for you. Sometimes there are lessons that I need to learn and sometimes there are lessons that I need to learn, maybe even the hard way. Any, any hard way learners here? Anybody here that knows? There's some of you shaking your hand. You don't want to raise your head, hand, but you're shaking your head, right? You know what I'm talking about. Men, all of us can touch some sky because men just have that natural ability where when we want to learn a lesson, we've got to learn it the hard way. By the way, some of you ladies are the same way. I just want to point that out, okay? I know you don't think you are, but you are, okay? So there you go. The reality is, is, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes God sends us on missions for us. I think that's what's happening here in Jonah. Go back to Jonah chapter 2, and I want you to just read through Jonah's prayer with me. And notice what it says. The Bible says here, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me, and your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. 
The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Jonah prays to God and says, Lord, if you save me, I will do anything, period. No longer is it, Lord, take my life, but just don't take this part of it, dot, dot, dot. It's, I will do anything you tell me, period, exclamation mark. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. Notice what happened. Jonah learned a very valuable lesson. Jonah goes He preaches to them, and then notice what it says. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Jonah went to Nineveh, and what happens? Those people who would never in their lives turn to God repented. See, Jonah had to learn Lessons that he needed to learn. And God gave Jonah the time to learn those lessons. You see, sometimes, believe it or not, and and this may sound a little harsh, okay? So please understand that I'm not trying to be harsh. But sometimes we are not perfect. Sometimes we need to change. Have you ever thought about that? Don't point the finger here at anybody else in this auditorium. Not your wife or your kids or, or, or the person across from you or whatnot. Point the finger back at yourself just for a moment. Because sometimes I need to change. Sometimes it's the way I am thinking about a situation. Sometimes... It's just that I need a little more information or maybe a little bit of wisdom from God's word. Sometimes my attitude is just flat out wrong. And I've got to change that. Sometimes I need to change. Let me, let me, let me just kind of illustrate this in one very simple way. When I first started preaching, I had left the banking industry and I had a very good career in the banking industry. I was in the right place at the right time and God had blessed me in that way and so I'm going to go preach. I'm going to give all that up and preach and you know what? I'm going to turn the world upside down. Jesus turned the world upside down. Not widely. You know, it didn't take me very long to realize that all I could do was serve my God. Sometimes God puts us in places so that we can learn valuable lessons. And sometimes we are put in positions to experience things so that that will help us in the future. Let me illustrate that for you through scripture. Go to Acts chapter 10. I want you to look at Acts chapter 10. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember Cornelius? You remember the first known Gentile convert? 
Look at Acts 10 and verse 34. Notice what Peter says about that. Opening his mouth. Acts 10 verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The gospel was preached to the Jews first. The gospel made its way to the Samaritans, those who were kind of half Jews. And then the gospel made its way here to Cornelius and he and his household were converted. But who needed to learn that God is not one to show partiality? It was Peter. And what does Peter say about this experience? He needed to learn that God does not show impartiality, that regardless of your background or the sins you have committed or your race or your upbringing or your level of education, the one who fears God, the one who obeys God and puts all his faith in him and serves God is welcome to God. And as I look back on my own life, I can see that there were times where Wiley needed to learn. Well, guess what? There was a time when Jonah needed to learn too. We read about that in the book of Jonah. Number three, we have to learn that God will not deliver us from obedience. This may be the most valuable and important lesson for Jonah to learn. And I say that because even though Jonah repented, God never gave Jonah a pass. Jonah still had to go to Nineveh and obey God. Go back to the book of Jonah, look at chapter 3, and look at verse 1 and verse 2 with me. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. God had already saved Jonah from the belly of that fish. Jonah was vomited up on dry land. Don't you love the imagery that the the Holy Spirit gives us there? But now Jonah has a second chance. But this time Jonah couldn't mess it up. He was going to have to get up and he was going to have to go to Nineveh. And he was going to have to seek their repentance. Because that's what God told him to do. And by the way, what was the message? Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was a simple message. It was a short message. Don't get any ideas, folks. It was not a sweet message, though. And what was the result? Well, you can look at verses 5 through 10 and you can clearly see that they repented. That they mourned for their sins. And because of their repentance, God relented. Both Jonah and Nineveh needed to learn something that was very important. God will not deliver us from obedience to him. God is not going to give you a pass just because you failed the first time, refused to obey him, and, and, then, the, and then you've said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. No, that's, that, that's the first step maybe. But you still have to go through and you still have to obey and do what God tells you to do. 
Jonah had to obey. Nineveh had to obey. And when we are in circumstances today where we have failed God in the past and we have failed our family in the past and we've, where we've failed our brethren in the past, we don't just get to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Just to keep from doing the hard stuff that God wants us to do. I have to tell you, this applies in so many ways. We could be here all night. The reality is, is we have to obey God. And then number five, and finally, very quickly, your past disobedience will not keep God from using you again. You know, I have to tell you that uh, you probably, most of you don't know very much about me, but, but, but I have to tell you that there have been times, even in the life of a preacher's kid, where we find ourselves in dark places, places that we ought not be in. We have been taught better, but yet we find ourselves in those places because of our own sinful decisions and the choices that we make. I have to tell you, there have been times when I was so ashamed of myself that I could not look myself in the mirror. There are times in my life when I have been so ashamed that I could go to church and act like everything was okay, but I could not even look my brothers and sisters in the eye. Have you ever been there before? Do you know what I'm talking about? There have been times in my life when I never thought in a million years that I would have a godly wife and three amazing children. That I would never be used the way that God has used me and has allowed me to be used. I never thought I'd have a strong church family who would care about me and love me and treat me as family. And I never thought in a million years I would get to preach in a series of lessons like this. There have been times where I've been there. But God has been so good to me and gracious to me. And merciful in so many ways. And then I look at Jonah and I think to myself, God could have found another prophet. He could have found somebody else. When Jonah failed, he could have said, well, that's it. Next man up. I mean, it's kind of like Nick Saban treats Alabama football, right? Next man up. Yes, I said that. Sorry, Auburn fans. God didn't do that. If you're here today and you keep messing up and you are caught in sin or your attitude isn't right or you have really messed up big time, I want you to understand this, that God will forgive you. But it's not just that he will forgive you. The best part is that he will use you again in his service, for his glory. And like Jonah, especially in chapter 4, you may still have to learn some things, but God will forgive you, and God will keep using you. You just have to do his will and obey him. If you do that, you'll make a difference in this world. Jonah made a difference. He was stubborn, but he still made a difference. Thank you for listening tonight. You may be here.
and you're not a child of God. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to help you do that. You may be here and you have done that, but something stands between you and the Lord. We'll pray with you and for you that God will forgive you. We know that he will because he said that he would. If we can help you in any way, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing. Again, we're very thankful for your presence here tonight. We're very appreciative of the really good lesson that Wiley's brought to us. So much power in a children's story, right? But it's so much more than that. I think about those people in Nineveh, and I know the Lord thought about them too. When Jesus was on earth, he ran across a lot of people that needed to repent and didn't. And he said one time in Luke chapter 11 and verse 32, that the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment and condemn this generation. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and a greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh didn't know anything about Jesus. They never had heard about the Son of God coming from heaven giving his life on a cross, going through everything you went through by the grace of God and the love of God for you. Jesus is the difference. If we know the story of Jesus and yet we won't repent, the men of Nineveh stand to condemn us. For surely we know of the story of God's love and grace in a way that they never could have. If you need change in your life tonight, as Wiley has already suggested to us, you've got the greatest reason in the world, and you'll never have a greater one. It's not about you, it's about Him. It's about His grace and love that makes a difference in the world. Thank you again for being here. We're going to uh, continue tomorrow, uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, with our Bible classes and then a worship assembly, and looking forward to Wiley preaching again in that assembly, and then 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Don't come at 5 tomorrow. That's our normal time. Come at 3, and uh, we'll wind up the series of lessons at that time. Uh, the elders have any other announcements before we dismiss? All right.
Brother Romine, if you will, come forward and lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed.